There we go. Now we're cooking with peanut oil. All right. Well, good morning, loved ones, and good morning all of you that are visiting. It's nice to see new faces always and, and old faces. Bruce, what's happening? So it's good to see you guys. So please, uh, if you would, open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. That's where we'll be today. We're going to take a break from our exposition in 1 Timothy, and we will be in Titus chapter 2 today. Um, I think it's in here. All right. My Bible does have Titus. It doesn't have James, but it has Titus. So, okay. Well, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll dig in to God's Word. Father, we just thank you that we can come and worship you today, that we can worship you, Father, with our songs. We can worship you, Father, with our giving. And Father, now we come to you and we ask that our worship would be just as pleasing with the preaching of your word. Lord, we pray that you are exalted high in our hearts. We pray that we would see your excellency. We pray we would see your majesty. We pray, Father, that you would give us just a glimpse of your glory, that we would hold on to that. Father, I pray that as we look into your word, that your Holy Spirit would come, Father, and your Holy Spirit would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and your Holy Spirit would convict us where we need to be convicted that your spirit would accompany the preaching of your word, Lord, that it would not be my words, but it would be your words, Father. I pray that you would guard my mouth, that I would not do anything to defame you. Father, I pray that you would forgive me of my sin, Lord. I pray for all those that are hearing today, Lord, that our, our sins would be forgiven, that our hearts would be pure as we Bring in your word, Lord, and as we come for communion, Father, that our, our hearts would be ready to receive your communion, Lord, the bread that represents the body of Christ and the cup that represents the blood of the new covenant that was spilled for us, Lord, that we would see his glory in this. So, Father, only you can do these things. Only you can answer these prayers. And so, Father, I pray that you would do such a thing, that you would be set on glorious display. In your name, amen. So as we look at Advent, you know, um, today is joy. And joy can be something that's eluding, right? I have a saying that I, I usually say, and the saying I usually say is that we should not let our circumstances reflect our joy, but we should let our joy reflect our circumstances. Our circumstances shouldn't determine whether we're joyful or not. 
but we should bring the joyfulness of our Christianity, of who Christ is, into our circumstances. And so when we look at joy and we, we bring the joy of the world into our lives, which is fine, we could have things in this world that we find joy in, uh, marriage or children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren or chocolate chip cookies, whatever you want to have that joy in, you can have that joy. But we have to understand when we look at joy that's in the world, it's a temporal joy. It's a joy that's fleeting. It's a joy that's not always going to be there. But as Christians, when our joy is fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone, that joy is eternal and is never fleeting. It will always exist. It will always be there. We will always have it to lean on. And so as we come to celebrate the communion today, as we come to look at the the body that Christ and the blood of Christ, I, I want us to be encouraged with the thoughts that we our joy should be rooted in. And so look at Titus chapter 2. We're going to look at 11 through 14. And this is where our joy should be rooted in. For this is what the Word of God says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So our joy, first of all, the first thing I want us to look at is our joy should be rooted in the grace of God that has appeared. In the grace of God that has appeared. Verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared. There's this grace that has come forth, this grace, this unmerited favor that we have with God. This favor with God that we didn't deserve has appeared. As I was looking through this, it's, it's really interesting. In the original language, this verse actually reads, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So this grace of God that has appeared, it brings salvation for all men. And this grace is no other than Jesus Christ himself. This is the grace of God that has appeared. Christ, in his, in his incarnation, has appeared to us. Listen to John 1.14. And the word became flesh. And we get this from John 1.1, where John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We come down 13 verses later, and we read, And the word became flesh. This is God in the flesh. This is Jesus in the flesh. This is the grace of God that has appeared. So, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this grace of God that has appeared, who is Jesus Christ, is full of grace. And he's full of truth. If you want grace in your life, you go to Christ. If you want to know the truth, 
you go to Christ because Christ is the one who is full of it. Again, in, for, in John 16 and 17, the apostle continues to write, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the grace of God. But not only that, but First Timothy tells us that this grace is found in Christ and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the grace is the gospel of God. Jesus is the gospel of God that has appeared. And we find grace in the gospel that one has come and died for our sins. Jesus has come and died for our sins, past, present, future sins. He dies for them all in Acts twenty twenty four. But I do not account my life as any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That is what Paul was talking about. His main goal was to testify to the glory of the gospel of grace. When we look at the gospel, it is filled with grace because Jesus is the gospel, the grace that has appeared. This is what Paul is telling Titus. Secondly, our joy is rooted in the salvation that Jesus brings. Jesus is the Savior. He is the one who saves. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Brothers and sisters, today, if you sit here and you are a believer, you have to understand Jesus is our salvation. He is the one who has saved us. Psalms 98.1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness. This is Jesus right? The Lord, if we look on the screens, that Lord is in capital letters. That's Yahweh. So Yahweh has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness. That righteousness is in Christ in the sight of all the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And that is Jesus, the salvation of our God. In Isaiah 45, 22, the, the uh, prophet writes this from God. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. That is all we need right there. Turn to me and be saved. For I am God and there is no other. This is God's word to us today, brothers and sisters. If you are not a believer and you sit here and you're not a believer of Christ, this is what God calls you today, to be converted, to turn to him today. Today is the day of salvation because there is no other God besides him. A young man at the name of Charles Spurgeon was 15 years old and this was the verse that actually he heard preached that caused his conversion. It was this Isaiah passage. This is what he says. Into the pulpit climbed a thin-looking man, so we know that wasn't me. 
So in the pulpit climbed a thin-looking man, a shoemaker or tailor. Spurgeon was never to know anything about him. He announced his text, Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Charles Spurgeon, when he heard this verse, he didn't care who the man in the pulpit was. Like he says, it could have been a shoemaker, it could have been a tailor. It wasn't the person in the pulpit. It was the power of the word of God that sunk into Spurgeon's heart, that he saw that he was this wicked man and he needed this savior. And these were the words that pierced his heart was, look unto me and be saved. And at 15 years old, Charles Spurgeon was saved because of this passage of this thinly looking man preached. And we know what a great a great blessing Charles Spurgeon has been to the church. But he saw that Jesus was his Savior. He saw the truth that the grace of God that has appeared brought salvation and brought salvation to Spurgeon. And he has brought salvation to you and I. This is what he has done. Uh, Luke tells it this way in chapter 3, verse 6. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is Christ himself, Luke 24, 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus is our salvation. Repentance should be proclaimed in his name. No other name but Jesus' name. Repentance should be proclaimed. Third, our joy is rooted in his return. Our joy is rooted in his return. If you're at Sunday school, some of this is going to sound a little familiar and uh, so forth. So our joy is rooted in his return. Look at Titus 2.13. This is what he says. Waiting for our blessed hope. This is the second coming. The blessed hope is the second coming of Jesus. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our joy should be rooted in this. He says to Titus, he says, waiting for our blessed hope. Is this what we're waiting for? Are we waiting for the second coming? Are we looking for the second coming? Is this something we are looking forward to? Are we listening for the trumpets, for the cry? Are we listening for these things? Are we waiting for these things? Is this what dominates your heart? Is this what your joy is rooted in? No matter the trials and the tribulations and the hardships that we have in this life, joy comes into our hearts when we look up and we await our Savior. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We might have pain in our body. We might have emotional pain going on. We might have physical ailments that are happening. But our joy should be rooted in one day Christ will come back. And when he comes back, he's going to change us. He's going to change us. First uh, Corinthians 1.17, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our vile, lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There's coming a time, there's coming a time, dear saints, that when Christ descends from heaven 
and he takes us home with him, your back pain is gone. Your oxygen levels are going to be just fine because he's going to change our bodies. Our bodies aren't going to hurt him. I mean, how many of us, I mean, I look around here. We're not the youngest bunch. We got a couple of young ones back there, but we're not the youngest bunch. But how many of us wake up every morning and go, now why does that hurt today? I do that all the time. I roll out of bed and I'm like, oh, that hurts. I was just telling Jenny this morning, I'm like going like this because my hand hurts. I'm like, why in the heck does my hand hurt? You know, I guess it's something that happens when you hit 50, you know, and everything. And so, but there's coming a time when that's not going to be anymore. When Jesus takes us home with him, our bodies are going to be like his glorious body. 2 Timothy 4.8 talks about this return and our joy being rooted in this return. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all have loved his appearing. That word love, right? We have this love, this affection, right? We love our spouses. We love our children. We love our grandchildren, right? We have these true affections, But challenge yourself today. Challenge yourself today in your conversion, your trueness of heart, where Christ has truly saved you. Do you love his appearing? Do you long for his appearing? Where is the trueness of our hearts? Where is the trueness of our affections? This is what Paul was telling Timothy. Paul's heart have loved his appearing. Can we not wait for his appearing? Do we wake up in the morning and say, oh, Lord, another day. Perhaps today you will come. Perhaps today you will come. Hebrews 9.28, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And again, 2 Peter 3, 2, waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will be melted as they burn. But with the first part, waiting for and hastening the coming of God, the day of God. And brothers and sisters, this will be no ordinary return. It will be a glorious return. It will be a glorious return. Look at how Job puts it in Job 19. For I know that my Redeemer lives and that the last he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been thus destroyed yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another my heart faints within me. This will be a glorious return. Our hearts are going to faint within us. We are going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to see what he is like. And we will be just like Job, for I know that my Redeemer lives. It's going to be a glorious return. It's going to be a worshipful return. In Isaiah 25, 9, it will be said on that day, Behold, this our God, we have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. In his salvation, he is the one to be glorified. He is the one to be worshipped. 
not the person in the pulpit. Because, see, I'm just as bad as anybody else. I'm just as sinful as you guys. I need a Savior just as bad as you. It's not the person in the pulpit that needs to be worshipped <coughs> or praised or glorified, but it's God who's the one who's to be worshipped and glorified and set on glorious display because He is the one who is mighty to save us. He is the one who is mighty to save us. <coughs> and finally, number four, our joy is rooted in His death. Our joy is rooted in Christ's death. Titus 2.14 says this, Who gave himself for us to redeem us for all, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Okay, the first thing I want us to look at is who gave himself for us. Jesus gave himself. He gave himself. Right? He wasn't forced to do this. He willingly, with the power of the Holy Spirit, gave himself. John ten fifteen puts it this way. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the good shepherd passage. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. For his sheep, because his sheep hear his voice. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. And he lays down his life for his sheep. He gave himself for his bride. Ephesians, right? Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus dies for his bride. Husbands, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to die for our brides. Do we do this perfectly? No. Absolutely not. Should we try? Yeah, we should. But that's a different sermon. So, but he gave himself for his bride. Galatians 1.4 says this, Jesus who gave himself for our sins to deliver us or who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father. Ephesians 5.2 And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He was the one who gave himself up for us. He gave himself up for us. 1 Timothy 2 Five and six. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, <coughs> which is the testimony given at the proper time. The point that we have to get through here is he gave himself. He lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life. He has the power to take it back up. 
Jesus gave himself. Our joy should be rooted in this fact that we as sinners can look at Jesus and see that he gave himself for us. So now we see our glorious Savior who gave himself for us and now he calls us children. He calls us brother. He calls us saints, loved ones. This is where our joy is rooted. This is where it is. If you feel unloved, Oh, brothers and sisters, you are so loved. You are loved by Christ that he gave himself for you. Man, we are a loved people. We are a blessed people. We are a people that are filled with grace every day. God's mercy overflows onto us. Oh, this is where our joy should be rooted is in what Christ, his person, and the work that he has done for us. All other things become strangely dim in the light of his glory, right? We focus on his glory, and his glory was pinnacled in his death for us. This is where our joy is rooted. He gave himself, but not only death, his death freed us from sin. That's what held us, right? That's what held us bondage was, this, was, was sin, We needed someone to come and free us, free us from that bondage of sin. And that's what Jesus did. He came and he took the penalty for sin. No more penalty. That's what Romans tells us. For there now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The penalty is gone. He paid the price. No more penalty for sin. This is what he has done. He's freed us from this sin, Revelation 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood. Why did he free us? Because he loved us. Why did he love us? Did you ever ask that question? Why did he love us? Because there was nothing lovely about us. But he loved us because he loved us. Because he chose to love us. That's why he loves us. And he has freed us from our sin. All of our sin. There's not one sin here, brothers and sisters, that Christ did not die for. Not one. He's died for them all. Ephesians 1, 6, and 7 puts it this way. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in him, that is Christ Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. His death has freed us from sin. His death has redeemed us, has brought us back. He paid the price. In Psalms 130, verse 8, it says this, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Matthew 121 says this, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He did not come as a king conquering Rome. He came as a king conquering sin. This was his first coming. His second coming He will come and defeat every single foe. But in his first, this is what he came for. This is what what, what they say. She'll bear a son, and he will save his people from their sins. In John, in John, 
John tells us in 129 that John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is what Jesus came for. He came to take away the sin that so held us captive. And if you were the only one to sin, if you were the only one on this planet to ever sin, and you only had one sin, Jesus still would have came and died because he loved you. If you were the only one to sin. What a glorious, glorious redeemer we have. Revelations 5, 9 says it this way, and they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nations. Brothers and sisters, our joy is rooted in the death of Christ for us. Our joy is rooted in the gospel. That is the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you sit here today and you are not a believer, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to turn to God today and be saved today. Your sin that you are in is only going to deliver you to hell when you die. And that will be a place of absolute torment. It will be a place of darkness. But God rescues the sinner. God calls you to repent. This word repent means to turn. To turn from your sin and to turn to God. Confess your sin, brothers and sisters. Ask God to save you and he will. Trust in Jesus' death for you. Trust in the empty tomb. Trust in Christ today. Call on him today. Romans 10 says that. If we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart in Jesus Christ, that we will be saved. Confess today. Believe in Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. So, as we close, may you and I have a joy that is rooted in the person and work of Jesus, that we would be unshakable in our faith, that we would be immovable in our conversion, and we would be inspired to proclaim the gospel of grace in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, as we go to take communion, this is not a light thing that we do. We come to remember what Christ did. We come to remember the very last point that I talked on, that he has redeemed us and he has set us free. But he does this by his death. This is how he does it. He sets us free by those things. So we don't come to communion lightly, brothers and sisters. We must come to communion with a pure heart, with a clean heart. There's a warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and this is what it says. Let a person examine himself. This is to us. I read this warning to us before we come and we take the Lord's Supper. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. The Corinthians didn't take it serious. They came to drink, to get drunk, and to eat, to be filled. This is not why we come. Examine yourselves. Do not take this lightly. If you are not a believer, let this go by. 
It is not for you. But if you are a believer, take, find joy, rejoice in what Christ has done for you. So take a second, pray, be sure your heart is ready as the elders come forward, as we pass out the elements.